I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, the, if you think about music as an analogy, I'm a lover of jazz. It's not my favorite music, but I love her jazz. So if you think about jazz, jazz is just small mistakes and learning and riffing off uh, other things. And isn't that life? I mean, you know, I could go, I could go home and I could face my wife and my two daughters tonight, and they could be smiling and happy. And the next day, I walk in, something's happened I don't know about, and you've got to be all prepared for your spontaneity session. So that's a great Larson cartoon, Larson cartoons I love, but all prepared for a spontaneity session when you've got everything in rigid lines prepared. So why wouldn't we start to get all prepared for a spontaneity session and have experiments and try something different? Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, a great network of so many podcasts, opportunities to grow yourself, grow your leadership, grow your business, and frankly, just have more fun. And we're especially excited to explore the ways that the Evergreen Network can help us share our message to a wider audience and expand our leadership impact. Today, we have Colin Hunter with us, coming to us from the UK, and he, we are here today to talk about failure and being wrong. In fact, Colin is the author of a book that just hit the streets a few weeks ago. The book is called Be More Wrong, How Failure Makes You an Outstanding Leader. And that's the title of the program today. Be More Wrong, The Power of Failure in Growing Your Leadership and Impact. You see, this is not about just encouraging people to make more mistakes or intentionally fail, but it's about experimentation, about taking risks. It's about trying new things and being willing to make mistakes and learn from them, whether as the leader who's modeling it or throughout an entire organization. Colin's going to spend a lot of time talking about something known as design thinking. He's going to be talking about the risk of playing it safe in business and in leadership. Here's a simple truth he's going to offer us. The idea of failing small in order to learn big. We promise you a fun, engaging, and disruptive conversation about failure and being wrong. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here. We have Colin Hunter with us coming to you from the UK. Colin is right up our wheelhouse because today we're going to talk about failure. Yes. And failure. Uh, Colin loves failure as much as we do. And those of you who want to stop listening, you're going to miss out on all the wisdom. <laughs> Colin is an author. He's got a book called Be More Wrong. See what we're talking about? He's an author, mentor, coach, founder, and CEO of Potential Squared, an international business that specializes in creating playgrounds to disrupt the way people are led. Colin works with leaders and their teams around the globe on leadership impact, helping them create engaged, capable groups of followers, bringing fresh ideas and stories to their teams and clients. As you're gonna learn, it involves uh, actors. His work involves virtual reality. Prepare yourself to get disrupted and to <laughs> be wrong. So welcome, Colin. Yes. Uh, a delight to be here. Am I allowed to get my intro wrong yet? So I can be anything today. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can do anything. So no. Delighted, right. Jeff and Craig, to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to have so you. Colin, uh, tell us a little bit about the background of the wrong guy. Yeah, the wrong guy. Well, the wrong guy spent half of his life trying to be somebody he wasn't. And that was the wrong bit. And then the rest of my life, I've been trying to find out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing in here. So, um, Did you ever figure it out? No. Well, I'm, I'm still working on it. I, they say it's a lifelong journey. And I'm sure when I'm in my grave, I'll be knocking on the, the wood and telling my daughters that, yeah, I found out this is exactly where I need to be. Just I need to be lying down and resting. No, I'm I'm restless. I think that's the uh, the key thing about me. I've been restless since I was a boy. Um, and my father and my grandfather set me on a track to be restless, but I spent probably since about the age of 30 realizing that I was restless in the wrong direction. So I've changed it around 
And I'm going back to being fun. My play is a key thing for me. It's where I'm happiest. So that's what I'm trying to do for leaders and leadership growth and development. Yeah. Fantastic. I love well, you play. know, some people ask the question, what are you going to be when you grow up? I, I just ah. decided I wasn't going to grow up. So oh, it sounds like you're kind of along say. the same ilk there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a real measure when your daughter invites you into to, to their group to have a chat and you realize that you're not an old fuddy-duddy. Yeah, that's oh, it. You're yeah, allowed yeah. in. You're allowed in. You go, no, not for long, though. After a while, <laughs> I become embarrassing. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Well, Colin, clearly you are disruptive because apparently you're going into organizations and telling leaders they need to be more wrong, mm. which if we look at the studies would say that is the leader's greatest fear. Yeah. So you have, you are, you are working at the collision point of yeah. the greatest fear and perhaps the greatest opportunity for leaders. So talk to us about being more wrong. Yeah. And how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. So, I mean, I think if if you look at it, the, the moment I started doing this, I suddenly realized all my screw ups had a purpose. And I've screwed <laughs> up more than most people in my life, you know, in relationships, in business. I've had more uh, business partners in my time than most people would uh, would would have. So, so it, in a lot of ways, it, it goes back to this piece, which is most of us are waiting for other people to find us out. And by doing that, we're trying to play it safe. Yep. Now, if you look at it, I have an analogy in here that most leaders are just sailing their ship around the harbor. They're putting sails up and down. They're getting their, their team to, to mop the decks, polish them. But we all know that you know, to do something and to stretch and keep relevant and to keep your business fresh, you've got to have barnacles on your butt. Yeah? You've got to be out there and sailing in the, the tougher seas. And if you're stretching yourself in the tougher seas, you're going to get it wrong. So... How do, you, how do you do that in a way that's safe? How do you do that in a way that's stretching, motivating? Um, and how do you, there's a great book. I've got to sort of plug another book called Be More Pirate. Yeah. If you ever get chance, <laughs> I love it. Is that Jimmy Buffett? A, uh, <laughs> no, it isn't, but it's close. But it's a guy who actually just says, if you look at the pirates, they had the code. They had the first signs of inclusion. You know, they had... Same-sex marriages, they shared out the profits at the top of an organization, but they just, they made it up as they went along and they were always against what is the status quo and therefore be more pirate for me is the same thing. Take your ship out of the harbor, sail it, get barnacles in your butt and then rest and learn and grow. And therefore what we're asking people to do is not massively screw up, but we're asking people to experiment in their life. You know, if you could try once to change the beginning of this podcast, what would you do different? Yeah, that's the sort of thing right. that's not going to send people away, but is going to make them go, oof, hey, hold on a second. They're doing something different today. What's going that's on? That's the one yeah. thing. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. We talk about this a lot, and we see this a lot. Mm. Most organizations that I'm familiar with or read about, and most leaders talk about how much they've learned from failure. Mm. And yet those same leaders and organizations, frankly, rarely have a culture that encourages that experimentation and taking risks, even though they yep. will rave, they'll write books about the importance yeah. of it, but yeah. they don't bring it in their organization. Are you seeing that? And what's behind that? So I think there's a couple of things. I mean, culture is massive in this. So firstly, I think if you look at how the, the culture is created, it's an annual system, it's got bonuses at the end of the, the year. We spend half the time planning for the end of the year. Um, and then by the time we actually enact most of the objectives we set down, they've, they're not worth the paper on the written on. So there's a rhythm to, to, to be more wrong. There's a rhythm to innovation. There's a rhythm to design thinking. And if you take, run, say, take running a, a top luxury hotel, we do a lot of work in luxury hotels. You get a formulaic work through a hotel as a journey as a customer. That's, that's not what you want. You want somebody who has creativity and in the moment is reading your face and your, your needs and therefore, what you've got to do is, as an organization, as leaders, is you've got to set those conditions. Just take Accenture as one of our, my biggest clients. And if you just look at how they've operated and they've worked, one of the biggest challenges that they had was how they got close to the client. So they said, rather than innovating outside the client, why don't we innovate in the client? Why don't we go in? Why don't we do something called gain share, yeah, where we don't charge a fee, we charge a percentage of the profits that we make as a difference? Now, that's a huge risk. You think about investing yeah. 20, 30, 100 million into a client and going for that. So therefore, you've got to be on your toes. So I'm agreeing, organizations play it safe. And they're normally playing it safe because the internal auditors are behind them. 
the regulators are on the back, whether it's pharma, financial services, they've got no chance to do it. So it's got to start small and it's got to start in terms, it could be just service. It could be how you look at your financial reports. You could throw those up in the air and say, so what do we actually use out of those? Could be creating an eyesight, like a, you know, a fighter pilot for your, your salespeople to have as they go out there. That's what we're talking about in terms of testing. What's the useful bit? And 80% of those ideas should fail, yeah, but fail small so they're just iterating. And if you involve your clients like we do, they get part of the failure. They love it. They get the rewards. They get the promotion. They get the successes, which you have. But they also, there's something nice about screwing up and having small experiments every day. It keeps you motivated. Yeah. Well, it seems interesting because we, we talk about failure and typically people in their minds, mm. failure is this big looming monster. And yet you're talking about failing safely. Yeah. So yeah. how do you do, how do you create the culture where people can fail safely? Mm. So if you think, I'm going to use a special forces example, because a couple of my old pals and, and uh, partners were special forces. They don't do their big failures in battle. They don't do their fa big failures. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they're going to practice. They're going to go to Norway. We were talking about Norway earlier. But they, they go to Norway, and they're going to practice in the hills. They're going to practice in the jungles. They're going to practice everywhere. How often do your listeners in their organizations ever practice something? Mm. Yeah. How often do they get, for example, using our actors, how often would they get actors in to try the 25 different conversations they could have in a negotiation on a new contract? before they get in the room. So to be agile, you've got to have confidence, conviction, and connection, as we talk about. And that connection piece is the ability to be agile in the moment. But you don't get that from thinking about it and then going, right, I'm going to do it. You, go, you get it by practicing in a safe place. And that's what I mean by a safe place, firstly. But the second place is, as a leader, the way you treat a failure is massive. Yeah. Mm, totally. And as you said, Jeff, a lot of people say, ah, we, we fail, we fail. You talk to most leaders who talk like that, and you ask them to open their portfolio of design thinking and failures and talk us through the failures and their relearnings. They'll probably have a failure that somebody else did that they squashed or they you know, fired the person for. Um, but when you get the really good leaders, you know, Michael Bonser at the Rosewood in London, uh, the GM there, I mean, he's got the top celebs coming in every day. He's got to move it. He's got to shake it all the time in terms of failure. But his team have permission to go do pop-ups, new startups, new service, new ways of operating. Um, that's the leader. They've got to celebrate where they learn, but they've got to do it towards a purpose. And I think that's the, the final point I would say on it. it is, it's got to be towards something. Yeah. So if I know that I'm creating playgrounds to disrupt leadership, everything I do, as long as I'm failing in the direction of learning towards something better, that's great. But if I'm just going to screwing up, yeah, then no, po no point to that at all. So but it seems like there's, there's two aspects of trust. One, people have to learn to trust the environment that they can actually make mistakes yeah. so that they can fail forward. But the other side is that the, that the leaders need to be able to trust that their people are on the right path, that they have the company in mind and mm. you know, their other coworkers in mind and their customers, you know, whatever that is, that, that they know what it is that they're aligned, essentially. Yeah, agreed. There's, a, there's an Australian guy, a consultant who's just brilliant, and he runs a company called Fuel, P-H-E-U-L. Um, and I borrowed this mantra he gave me. He said, you know, do your people own their roles or rent them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you think about a rental, you think about rental, you, you're always going to the landlord or landlady to get something done. That's what you're going to do. And you're not going to really own the house. You're not really going to look after it. It's just a temporary place. But if you own your you're going to sweat blood and tears. You're going to invest in it. You're going to take care of it. So there's an alignment for me. And a lot of the management leadership words we use, sometimes alignment, what does that mean? But if they fundamentally own their own role and they're showing you and you trust them, then how do you know as a leader that your way is the right way? They might have the best way to deliver it. Yeah. But it's about giving them guides, guide ways or guide rails to, to give them a chance to do that. So leading indicators. You know, our salespeople, what are we giving them? We're going to give them leading indicators to tell they're on the right path. And then we're going to say, have a go. Now, if they keep making the same mistake, then there's something either wrong with your coaching as a leader or there's something wrong with your measurement system, yeah, about how you're operating. So, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in practice what you preach. 
uh, and I'm also a great believer that most people measure metrics, not systems. And systems are what create successful organizations. That's that's my belief. Yeah. So, so Colin, you you hit on something, and to me, it's one of those chicken or the egg questions. It's probably not, but it seems like it. The leaders are saying, you know, do they own their roles or rent them? And the leaders mm. are saying, I want people to own their roles. Mm. My experience generally, the the issue is not the people. Mm. It's not okay. their lack of willingness to own it, but it's not set up that way. No, they say I want you to own the role, but I'm going to treat you like a renter. <laughs> going to treat you like a child. Yeah, yeah, right. I, uh, yeah. To mix our analogies here, we're going from renters to children, but yeah, we are, and we're going to actually we're going to increase the, or we're not going to give you the salary you respect. Yeah, we're not going to give you the, for example, the the classic moment everybody in COVID, whether you think it's right or wrong, the choice to go back from being virtual to go back to work. Yeah. That organization that basically said, I want everybody back to work and every, you know, a large percentage resigned. That's when you treat them like children and you're not treating them like owning the roles. Saying, for example, certain operations functions I'm working with at the moment work better when the team are at home so they can follow the sun, as we say, follow all the time zones. Certain sales teams need to be in the organization to do that. So getting people to be collaborative in the decision making, yeah around how they set up and how they come back to the office or how they set up the organizational structures is core to that. So I'm with you, Jeff. I, I, if you take the plank out your own eye before you take the splinter out of your, your team's eye, you normally find that you're looking in the wrong direction as a leader. And that's where my screw-ups have been. I can, you know, that, that's why I practice what I preach, because at least I can tell people I've made that mistake. I've been in that mode. I've, I haven't coached. I haven't done all this. But you've got to do something about it eventually. Otherwise. Yeah, oh, that's a good biblical well, reference. Yeah, so you are practicing it. Which yeah. <laughs> Colin, you hit something there that to me might be one of the most, it, I'd say it's probably one of the top two or three most significant issues today. Mm. And it's with this shift to hybrid or whatever hybrid looks like. Yeah. Because, you know, prior to the last couple of years, most organizations were very focused on consistent treatment, which meant to treat everybody the same. And we had a guest last year who said they believe that one of the most important leadership shifts is to be more flexible as a leader, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. with your people and to recognize different circumstances as you just identified. But there's a lot of resistance to that because cool. they are, people are convinced that the only thing that's fair is everybody gets treated the same. Yeah. So are you working with companies on that? What are you finding and what are some of the solutions? So it, it's interesting because people need direction. You know, followers need leaders, leaders need followers. There is a principle. And leadership is language. Marquette, have you read his book? Leadership is language, brilliant. But he talks about the authority gradient in there. How steep is the authority gradient? And for me, the, the organizations that are working well in this are talking to their people, they're engaging with their people, and they're setting probably 20% of the direction. And then they're deploying the rest down to the team leaders and the workers and saying, you decide what's best for you, but go with a spirit of experiment. Who knew what we were going to face? Who knew that I was sitting there as a face-to-face -face consultant thinking virtual will never work. Our scores are higher on the virtual now than they were in the face-to-face. -face. And I'm sat here going, should we go back to face-to-face? -to -face? Yeah. Should we stay as virtual? Should we? So there's no way we know how hybrid is going to work for one organization or the other. So you've got to treat everything in that moment, but you've got to put people in power. In other words, you've got to give them the power to give you the feedback. That's what design thinking teaches you. You observe, you experiment. Have you ever seen that? Um, there's a clip on design thinking where there's, there's a picture of a university which has its paths and the paths are the, what you call tarmac, what you call it in uh, America, the, the, the stuff, the, the roads, are, the sidewalks. Yeah. So those sidewalks are there. And all the paths are across the grass where the students have gone. So what they did with this university was rather than when they built the new university, they didn't put any sidewalks down or paths across it. They just put the grass down and they let the students walk where they want to. And wherever the students walked, they put a path. Yeah? That sounds like Brilliant. High Point University. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, it I think be. so. Yeah. With uh, Nito Cubain. I think that right, it rings a bell, but it was doing design thinking. And I, somebody gave me this example. I just thought that is sheer genius. That, oh, is, that is brilliant. Yeah, it is. You just took me back to my college days because none of us walked on the sidewalks because they <laughs> right. made no sense. 
It might have been pretty from the sky. Yeah. Right. It was a pretty perfect Doing geometric squares. shape. But yeah. the, none of them made sense because they didn't take you where you needed to go. I'm going over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Versus just... NC State, they just put brick everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no need, no need for green, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's you know the choices that people have. And you think about choices in service wherever you are. Um, I have a lovely story for my daughters. We were doing mystery shopping in a hotel, Rosewood, um, Claridge's in London. Um, beautiful hotel. And we'd been shopping. We hadn't checked in. They didn't know who we were. Hadn't checked in. And my daughters had been young age, had been and bought Melman and Gloria from Madagascar. You know, the characters, Melman and Gloria, oh, yeah, the hippo. And the, yeah. Anyway, so they bought stuffed toys from uh, the Madagascar shop. And so they left them with the suitcases. And we went out. We came back later on. They checked us into the room. Now, Here's a moment. They didn't know we were bringing stuffed toys. But when we came back, the lady was showing us to the room, took us up to the room, went, shh, as we headed to the room. And the girls were really, shh. And she opened the door really quietly, and everything was dark inside. She went, shh. She opened the door into their bedroom, went, shh. And she walked into the room. And here, tucked into a little bed at the bottom of the girls' beds, were Memon and Gloria. They'd gone, they put into bed. We put them to bed. So I don't think we should disturb them. Should we walk out Brilliant. and talk about now, my girls think every hotel in the world, you go in, tucks your toys into bed. But that, that is exceptional service. But wow. that's in the moment. That's, you know, that's when you go and have your coffee and somebody does something for you in the moment in the morning that cheers you up and makes you think, well, life's worth living. That's service. That, you only get that by empowering people and getting to own the roles. So, yeah. All right. So, exactly. Colin, here comes another chicken and egg, right? Yeah. You have the culture and you have your hiring practices. Oh, yes. <laughs> so how do you get that kind of, of creative problem solver slash experience creator? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if you ever go back to the, you ever hear the story about how they started assessment centers? You familiar with assessment centers? Where you basically recreate the role in a short space of time for people to go through. So okay. they, and we used actors for Heathrow. We were recreating the role in Heathrow. Oh. Um, and we were, what we were trying to do was get customer service agents for Heathrow and Gatwick and Stansted. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we created this scene where we had actors coming in and playing um, the head of Kenyan Airways. Yeah? And the people who were going through the process, one of the interventions they had to have was they had to have a tough conversation with Kenyan Airways who wanted more slots, gates, yeah? couldn't have them. They wanted better service. And so we put them through scenarios where we sat, we observed, and the actors were in there. Now, Ken Collard, who's a, just a brilliant actor, he's now very famous, doesn't bother with the minions like us now. He's, <laughs> you know, he's often, he's flying, but he's a lovely guy, Buddhist and really top guy. But he was so good at being the head of Kenyan Airways that Heathrow and Gatwick offered him a job. <laughs> and people still remember who recruited through that process, this character, the head of Kenyan Airways. And they remember how he made them feel they remember what they did that was successful. But even those who failed, they remember what they did because they got the feedback coming out of it. So mm -hmm. for me, it's about recreating what you want. What is the scenario? What are the, the, the moments of truth, as Jan Carlson used to say? What are the moments of truth you're testing for? Then you put people through it. Now, that will give you 60 to 70% certainty of the role. The rest is about the leader giving them, I think, as Jeff said earlier on, that opportunity to live the conditions to be successful. But you know, we've had our screw-ups. I've had four failed salespeople over the last five years. You just can't tell what they are going to be like until you get them in there. But then it's four about out of 400, not bad, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, how much of this, Colin, if you're talking about, you know, bring people on how much is about fundamentally disrupting and taking chance, making mistakes, even in the conversation oh, to try yeah. something different. Yeah. And certainly stay within the law, which everybody It's funny. <laughs> I find that most people oh, want yeah. to fall back on the law and do nothing different mm, versus right. saying, well, no, the, there's a wide space here and yeah. they do these same conversations. Oh, oh boy, we get the same kind of people. What a surprise. Yeah. I think there's a question I use, which I stole with integrity from somebody else, but it's the question in an interview is, what am I not getting from you? Hmm. Um, and what are, what are the screw-ups that you've had in your life? What are the things that I'm going to hate that are going to irritate me? 
Now you can tell when somebody's faking it in those questions because they're <laughs> so prepared for the questions, which is give me an example when you have done something and it's been powerful. I'm an overachiever. And sometimes that really messes with people. Yeah. I am so great. I am fantastic. Now ask them a question, which is what is going to irritate me on a Monday morning about you? You know, what, what are you not going to give me? Yeah. Now yeah. for me, I recruit that person who gives me the, yeah, I'm going to really irritate you because I'm grumpy on a Monday morning. Yeah. I can deal with that. Yeah. Because they're also going to be the people who are going to tell you when you're screwing up as a leader, when the yeah. business is not right, they're going so to be good. transparent. So, you know, there's loads of ways of, of, of trying it out, but there's no, you know, if I had that one that could, solve that problem, I'd be making an absolute fortune. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. backgrounds, because when we're mm. hiring, we, we often look at people that look really good on a resume that have a consistent career. And I think, I think one of my business um, idols was, is, mm. um, oh my gosh, Tom Peters. Yeah. And Tom Peters said, you know, you want to find that person that has the gap that did this crazy thing. And, you know, his resume is just not consistent because those are the people who are going to surprise you. But when you look at this, this situation of trying to hire the right kind of person, you know, and, and looking at, let's be a little different. So for example, one of the companies I worked for, great company, McKim and Creed, mm -hmm. they, in their Wilmington office, Wilmington, North Carolina has a, a movie studio, a Screen wow. Gem, something like that. So there are some actors around the area. Well, they mm -hmm. decided that they were going to hire actors mm -hmm. for the, for the um, receptionist position. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now anybody that comes in, they're greeted warmly. It doesn't matter what's happened with the receptionist that day, right? Yeah. The they are mode. they are on. Yeah. And it just made a, such a big difference in the in the connection with people there. But anyway, so backgrounds, how much does it matter? And mm. you know, is it is it by position? So I'll give you two two answers to that. One is we we were assessing for a role in BASF, big chemical company. Yeah, and mm -hmm. one of the byproducts of this plant, we were restructuring the whole plant. One of the byproducts of this plant was cyanide. So this was big risk. Yeah, mm, yeah. And they were starting to do leadership without without leadership in the structure. So they wanted these self managed groups to work. Yeah. So we ran assessment centers. The person who was successful was the head of the lab. This minion who'd never really led anybody, never run anything in that scale, but everything told us that through the assessment process, he was the right person. They took him on as a, as a risk, a big risk. Um, and they took him on because of the skills he brought from running the lab, from running his experiments, and the way he operated, and the science. And there's a lot of work coming in saying, you know, that I think it's Adam Grant who talks about be more scientists now uh, as a leader. And when it comes to the scientists, we brought them, we took them on, and we gave them the job to do that. Two days into his new role as the head of this plant, somebody died. Yeah. So you can imagine what everybody is thinking about. You know, you've recruited the wrong person, it's the leader. But the way it wasn't his fault, it came out later on. The way he handled the debrief of that death, the way he handled the aftermath, the way he handled how they restructured, how they did everything on the back end of the death was scientific and it's exactly what they needed. And he's mm. still in place now. So wow. there's taking a risk through data. Yeah. Yeah. The other risk is, um, or the other way of looking at this is we were working in finance and finance business partners. And we were working with this person who, you know, you, when you're with somebody and you think and there's, you're not the, the real person, there's somebody else behind this. <laughs> and, and we found out that behind the suit and the, the tie and this lady was, she was a goth. In our nighttime, she was a goth. So she was uh, earrings, tattoos, everything else, all hidden. But during the day, she went into this formal mode and actually releasing that goth from her, not to dress like at the workplace because that wasn't allowed, but to release that inner person allows you to, to do work. So, so I think we've got a lot of people in our organizations we don't know the first thing about and we don't know what they do in their backgrounds. So I think it's not about how we recruit sometimes. It's about how we release the inner, whatever that person has inside them to be a bit quirky, be a bit crazy. I mean, I'm not going to ask you your quirks on air. Yeah, you might not want to share oh, that's them. Okay. But... We're not hiding anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's but all you... out there for us. But uh... but I'm I'm quirky. I'm proud of my quirkiness. Yeah. You know, I'm proud of what uh, makes me a bit of a nut sometimes. And, and I'll recruit that because... I recruit people from the queue in the coffee place. This guy who's office I'm in at the moment, 
I recruited in the coffee place in the middle yeah. of the pandemic. And he's a marketing, strategic marketing guy, but I recruited him on his quirkiness. And it turns out he and I got the same love of music, everything else. So I'm not recruiting the same mode. He brings massive difference. Yeah. But the quirk is what did it for me in that moment. And that's what I encourage people to say is look behind the person, look behind the CV yeah. and see what the quirk is. You'll normally find the quirk is the really exciting bit. So. Well, Jeff, it sounded like, you know, that, that time that you were asking the person about what they did and they said that they, they were writing a book and, and can you tell a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, that well, that like was very mm -hmm. typical. It was a client many years ago, very small place, 30 people. I interviewed everybody and um, everybody had said, this person's their best writer. Mm. They're great. So one of my first questions was, I hear you're a great writer. Yes, yeah, I really love it. I said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And she said, not only have I thought about it, I've written a book about a very tragic time in my life. I had a publisher. I chose not to publish it. I just wasn't ready for that story to be told. And I said, wow, that's a fantastic story. And she said, you know, I've worked here three years and not one person here knows that story. Uh, yeah. I thought, how, how do you not ask somebody that says they love writing and you say is their best writer, you don't ask that question. Uh, no, that follow-up, yeah. Right, but that's to me... For me, that was just obvious, but it wasn't mm. for them. No. And I think you're right. I think there, you know, people say they want to have relationships. Well, if you want to have relationships, then relate. Yeah. It's pretty simple. <laughs> wait a minute. Right. Wait a minute. Not sequitur. Uh, yeah. I was just about to say, are we getting under marriage guidance here? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Colin, I, I'd like to dig a little deeper on this piece about who mm. you're hiring, because it seems to me, and, and Craig and I, our universe is limited, but yep. I know within that limited universe, I would say, I can't even think of one right now, an organization where their default is something other than past experience. Yeah. They might hire someone without it, mm. but they're looking for that first, which means the odds of them picking someone else are pretty limited because they're yeah. already in this. This is what we want unless there's something really good. Mm. Number one, do you see that? And is that part of this shift that leaders and organizations need to make at the front end to get that out of their heads somehow? I think they are, as long as they adopt certain principles. So I think one of the things that's, that's been put in place is design thinking. So the fact is that you've got to have the user-centric view in life, but also one of the principles it talks about is extreme users. So you're going to go talk to the quirky people at the end to speed up your ideas. So the fact is design thinking has started to look out and it's broadened it. So that's one thing. But one of the things I'm passionate about is if you look at most universities, and we have something called UCAS in the UK, and you look at the clearing system for universities, they only tap into probably, I don't know, 25, 30% of the people they could possibly tap into to go to university. So one of the things I'm doing next year is launching something called the 500, which is we're going to start to train people to be mentors for the year, leaders. 400 of those will be paying seats. 100 will not be paid. They'll be funded by the paying seats. But our aim is to try unearth the 18 to 30s that are sitting you know, in the middle of Glasgow who have never had the opportunity or have sat there with that book writer. You know, imagine a publisher or you know, going to that person who wrote that book and going, wow, let me release that from you. And tapping into that to give people an opportunity and a chance. So I don't think many organizations are doing it. I'm lucky that I work with two that do. Accenture and Akamai are two that really look well beyond that. And they're looking for difference. They're looking for um, not the, the CV, but they're looking for people to give them an opportunity. But until we get into the fact that we start to go back into the education system and change the education system, everything we do at the moment, even my, you know, my daughter's just had her exams. I'm following that mode. I'm saying, oh, congratulations. You got really good exam results. And I'm thinking, my exam results didn't matter diddly squat to me when I got to run a business, you know, that's, but I'm going through the motions. I'm doing what yes. everybody is supposed to. So how do we disrupt that? So that's one of the things I'm trying to do next year is I met somebody who was an ex convict who was mentoring convicts coming out of prison. Mm. And he inspired me just something about him because I would recruit him tomorrow and he doesn't want to do it because he's got a passion and a purpose. But I want to uncover some of those people that organizations already like Accenture, HSBC have said, we'll be involved in this. We'd love to do that because they're looking for difference. They need difference for the future. So they're trying, Jeff, to answer your question, but I don't think the systems are helping them at the moment. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really interesting opportunity for 
recruiters, right? Yeah. So I'm the recruiter for the crazies. Yeah. Right. If I mean, in other words, if you set up your recruiting agency to do that, to find those quirky people that have some really interesting skills yeah. and to say, okay, I, I have all the crazies in, in my corral. So, you know, if you're looking for some great people and you're willing to take a chance, we're, we're going to rock your world. And, and it, can be, it can be crazies or it can be just analogous situations. So well, yeah, I, one, of the crazy, guys, but, one of the yeah. guys who's in our organization, Stephen Buck, he's, he's a brilliant guy and we've just promoted him to head of products and platforms. I met him when he was delivering me a hire car. Yeah. And it was the way he dealt with my daughters and myself in the car that connected. Now he does paintball at the weekend. Mm -hmm. He's got a son uh, that, you know, he shares between a partner uh, and himself. Um, and he's got a different background, but my God, he just, if I hadn't had that conversation with him, being able to just give him a chance and he's now head of product and platforms for yeah. us. He's taken his opportunity. So I think there's two things. There's one is let's identify them and get them, but it still doesn't mean that they get the role. They've still got to earn the yeah. role. They've got to want and own that role. But that, right. again, there's a lot of mental, mental strength, phys physicality and vocality. We need to give those the tools to people so they could be the actors, as you talked about, Craig, who come and act as if until they are yeah. uh, when they get in there. Yeah, I think opportunity is huge because oftentimes we, we look at it and say, oh, well, you just don't have quite the right background. But this is a person that's just absolutely passionate about this thing. Yeah. That's why any, any type of job description I'm, I'm putting together for hiring somebody, I'm going to include those people. You may not have these skills, but if you're passionate about learning that, we'll provide opportunities for you. Grow your own. Grow yeah. your own. That's what I've learned. If I had to pick one bit of wisdom to give everybody. Grow your own. Don't go out and pay big bucks because every time I pay big bucks, I've screwed up. It's not been the right decision. Yeah. Back to Tom Peters. Hire for yeah. passion, train for skill. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back. So, so Colin, the risk is staying on this topic a little longer because I think it's a really important one. <laughs> Happy, I'm enjoying. I don't know where the cut. I don't know where the point, the breaking point is with organization size. But many organizations today, their system is set up that they will not find anybody who's different. Yeah, because yeah. most anybody who's using the um, um, a technology based screening system mm -hmm. will absolutely not find anybody yeah. who's different. Yeah. And there's a lot of companies doing that and not just the giant ones. And I wonder, do they even realize, I know they're doing it for efficiency, mm. but it, it absolutely excludes anybody who's different. Yeah. I, I think that there's technologies that are coming that are helping that. So we're working with a number of the futurist who I mentioned earlier on, Trondonheim, he was brilliant. He was giving me some ideas about what they're doing in here. So I think some of the new technologies are going to help with that. But there's nothing like going out and just experiencing, going finding people who are, are doing something different or, or creating scenarios. And if you think about most organizations, how often do they have, here's a charity day, here's your three charity days a year, and they're never used. But if you refocus them and said, you've got three days to go on field trips, to go explore and go find some people yeah, and bring them in. And then we're going to give them the opportunity to, to have a go 
and do it. You know the story about where they, in India they used to put uh, computers into walls of compounds, and they would let the slums in the slums, and they would measure how young the children were who came and started to use the computers. And they could work out that the youngest people were the quickest people to work out code and how to get in and all of that. Now, if you had a recruiting thing that just said, right, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put that, and I'm just going to observe those people, I'm going to say, do you fancy a job when you... That's the sort of stuff we need to get creative with to start to put it out there. Um, good guy, if you ever get a chance, Michael Bungay Stanier, I don't know if you ever uh, met some boxer crayons, but he wrote the book, The Coaching Habit. So he's the best-selling author now, The Advice Trap and The, and the uh, Coaching Habit. Uh, just a bonkers guy. Yeah. Tattoos up his arm. He's a, a Rhodes Scholar. Um, and he's now the ex-CEO of, uh, of Boxer Crayons. But he recruited the person who runs Boxer Crayons, who was the manager of the pizza place he worked. He went in and ate his pizza. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Go out, totally find these sense. people. I don't know if that just, answers your question, Jeff, but that's where I would go. Yeah. So how, how do you then become really good at identifying the, the, the magic, mm. for, for lack of a better word? I think it comes to some basic skills. It, it's interesting because um, people would sometimes say about our work, they say, you're a bit spooky. You know, we'd, we'd spend <laughs> three or four days with people and we'd write reports on them and they'd go back. The managers go, I'd be working with this guy five years. And in three days, you've nailed them. You've nailed every little flaw, quirk, everything in there. So for yep. me, it's about observation. It's the same things as design thinking. It's about observational skills. So if I just read body language at the moment, if I just read Jeff, you at the moment and read how you're looking, the one arm up there, even just the cut of the facial hair, the glasses, the choice of the background. If I'm observing, I'm picking up cues all the time about when people are telling me the truth, when people are not telling me the truth, or when somebody's just saying, you think I'm not getting the real you today. Yeah. That is a basic skill. It's uh, in South Africa, it's called um, Soabonia. I see you. How often do we really see the person in front of us observe? Yeah. I think basically, Craig, that's, that's it. If you can observe people. That's why I love VR, by the way, because people suddenly become themselves. They've become so immersed. It's like the actors. They become really? so immersed. Tell, tell me more. Tell us more. Um, give you an example. So we've got a, a, a VR a sim called Apollo, um, and we put some of my favorite Accenture clients in, and they were all in this, four of them in there, and you're watching from the outside. And at one point, remain nameless, but one person turned around to the other one and said, you're talking over me. Yeah. And the other person went, no, I'm not. Said, you are. And you always do. Now, that was three minutes into a sim. These people had worked together for a number of years, but had never fundamentally had that conversation. It was when everything else was switched off and they were in that mode and they were doing something that distracted them, which was saving their lives off a planet in a spaceship. Yeah. That they suddenly went into that. Now, when we're outside work, if you ever watch people walking in and out of a, an office building, watch when they walk in and how did they change. Watch when they walk out and how they change. Stalk them and follow them, and you'll normally find the true person is something completely different to the person who corrects themselves or does something when they walk in. So how do you observe quickly? Actors put them in a scenario, an immersive, or VR. And we're finding, I mean, I was screwing up royally. So I knew I was writing the wrong, right book when I put Be More Wrong because I failed and I kept doing the same thing. It was one of those things, I dropped something and I kept doing the same thing. And I said, that is so me because I'm so bloody stubborn that I don't actually pause, reflect, engage. And I don't even, you know, take my own medicine and doing that. So that's what I would mean about being yourself. Expose it. Expose it's it. It's interesting, Colin. Everything we've talked about probably for the, the entire time. Mm every different nook and cranny involves risk. Yeah. And we're talking about the people being unwilling to take mm. it. And I like how you started off by saying, making mistakes mm -hmm. in small ones. Yep. How much do you think this is about literally the word failure? Oh, massive. Because <laughs> yeah. it is such a loaded term, yep. which your book isn't about, it didn't say fail no. more. <laughs> yeah. It said be more wrong. No, agreed. And I think, you know, talk to that sort of almost the, the mindset or the mm. psychology to this concept. 
So Ozan Verrill says it best, think like a rocket scientist. And he, he talks, he hates the word failure. And he says, whenever somebody says fail fast, and he has a strong, and I'm, I'm actually, good, you know, I'm going for my education. I'm going to work with him next year in a small group of six, because he is an ex-rocket scientist, so he thinks differently. But he says it's about learn fast, and I'm a big believer in that. So if you take the concept as how do I learn fast, then by small experiments yeah, and learning, and actually, 80%, if I go in with a mindset, 80% is going to fail, 20% is going to be successful. Then people turn away from failure. They say, I'm learning fast. Yeah, I'm going to work. I'm going to. So I, I'm iterating at the moment. I'm doing a number of things. I'm doing intermittent fasting. Yeah, I'm trying to work. on, But I'm doing it as an experiment. Um, and it's see whether it makes me less irritable, less grumpy on a Monday morning, or whether it makes me lose weight or it makes me uh, affects my energy. So I'm doing that, but I'm doing it for a purpose for the business because I've found some of my energies, particularly in the afternoon, have been low. And since I've tried that experiment, I've changed it. Now, other experiments I've tried, I tried something called positive intelligence. It sort of worked. It didn't reject it, move it on. I've picked up certain elements. Of it. So to come to your point, Jeff, if we can encourage people to, to have a go, at doing something small. So I've got a breath class. Now I'm a Geordie. Do you know what a Geordie is? A person who comes from Newcastle upon Tyne, Northeast England. If I had said 20 years ago, I'm going to do some meditation. Yeah. I probably would have been in hospital afterwards. Yeah. I would have just been beaten <laughs> up. Yeah. Who are you? I once came back from Paris with a man bag. I'd been living in Paris. I walked in the soccer match with a man bag and, you know, people just laughed as I walked down the street. So you can imagine it. Now, I wouldn't be without headspace meditation. Go back to Newcastle, it's all changing. But there's small experiments we can all do that just change certain things. And that's what organizations are doing if they are successful at the moment. They're changing rapidly. One of the things that sounds that, that I question here is you're, you're talking about, let's, let's take your intermittent fasting. Mm. You had three outcomes that you defined. Mm. Okay, I could lose weight, I could be less irritable, and you know, something else. And are you always going into the experiment, the, the potential issue with the potential outcomes in mind, or which would be a real experiment because yeah. you have hypotheses, mm. or do you just go in and see what happens and then learn from it after, or both? Some of them, I, I call them because I'm, I call them squirrel moments because if you've ever seen the dog, the film up where there's a dog, <sighs> then the squirrel goes and he's off. You know, I call them the squirrel moments. My COO is the one who manages my squirrel moments because I can I could have 20 a day. I could be off and doing things. And it irritates the hell out of her and the team because they never know what we're doing. Um, so I'm allowed a certain amount, but I do set the goals in mind. So at the moment, my personal energy is the key thing that I'm trying to manage in there. And therefore, I'm Fantastic. doing the experiments on there. I'm doing a mm -hmm. headspace. I'm doing the diet. I'm doing exercise. I just had a knee op. So I'm doing some recovery, so I'm taking James Clear Atomic Habits, the you know, principles of systems and working. So I'm always looking. And it goes back to the fact that if I'm not practicing what I preach to my clients and the model we have, which is outlined in the book, then who am I to tell other people how to, mm -hmm. to live and breathe it? So the book's probably going to be out of date in about a year because I'll have learned something new that's going to change it. It's going to work. So get it quickly, folks. Yeah. Read it in the year. Great. <laughs> and then I'll update the next year with the, the because that's the experimental life. It's great. It's cool. Yeah. Cool life. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one aspect of failure that I found is you got to celebrate. Yeah. Um, I was actually the MC for FailCon, where we had a whole conference on let's talk about failure Absolutely. and celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Major screw up. I don't. Yeah, that's right. Are you, are you familiar well, with outtakes of movies? I love the outtakes more than some of the movies. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've been recording <laughs> yeah. the video for the launch of the book, and I want the outtakes. And the guys are going, "Well, I'll be another two hundred and fifty bucks." Jokingly, they're saying two hundred and fifty bucks, but but I paid hundred and fifty bucks just to see the screw ups of <laughs> what I did wrong. Yeah, it's great. It's funny. What's interesting is is now you see the movies that are that are animated and they have the outtakes, yeah. right? They had to create the outtakes <laughs> in order to make that work. I love it. So, so why don't we run businesses? Wouldn't businesses be fun if every day, rather than going to Starbucks and going to the same line every day, or going to get the same coffee or the same things that they they shake it up? You know, when they were doing the safety announcements on the play, and I used to love that when they say, and the you know the air is going to drop, the mask gonna, and one of the flight attendants said, and and put the mask on yourself first, and if you've got children. Pick, or pick, you've got two children, pick your favorite first, put the mask on them. 
Yeah. <laughs> just little bits like that add on every day. Yeah. But how would it be? Wouldn't it be refreshing if everything in our lives was a fresh view every day? Yeah. Be great. Yeah, coming back from Puerto Rico, we had a flight attendant that that had all sorts of stuff. She got she got applause after her safety briefing, yeah. right? And that's what you expect out of Southwest, but not out of no. JetBlue, no, right? No, or British Airways, but the improv. <laughs> yeah. Get them to go through an improv. <laughs> well, I can't course. even do the, the accent. <laughs> yes. Welcome to British Airways. I'm glad you're flying today. You go in Virgin Atlantic, and it's it's you know it's fun. It's fun, but hey, I won't yeah. I won't one dish thing, British Airways. What, one thing you've highlighted, I don't know if you've focused on the highlight though, Colin, is mm. I think you said it once, the difference between trying things out and failing mm -hmm. versus just messing, making mistakes. Yeah. Like I think you said earlier, you know, if someone makes mistakes, we want to learn from them. If they keep making that same mistake, that's not okay. Yeah. That's not like, hey, we applaud. You're an ongoing, right. continuing to fail at this. Yeah. And I think sometimes leaders get trapped in that. Yeah. Now, I think it's an escape valve for them. Mm -hmm. I think it's an excuse to say, well, we can't do that because really you want us to celebrate that someone made a mistake. Yep. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about celebrating when you try something new yeah. Yeah. and you take Good some point. risk in doing it different. That's what you're really talking yeah. about. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, the, if you think about music as an analogy, I'm a lover of jazz. It's not my favorite music, but I love her jazz. And if you think about jazz, jazz is just small mistakes and learning and riffing off uh, other things. And isn't that life? I mean, you know, I could go, yeah, I, I could go home and I could face my wife and my two daughters tonight and they could be smiling and happy. And the next day I walk in, something's happened. I don't know about, and you've got to be all prepared for your spontaneity session. So mm -hmm. that's a great Larson cartoon, Larson cartoons I love, but all prepared for a spontaneity session when you've got everything in rigid lines prepared. So why wouldn't we start to get all prepared for a spontaneity session and have experiments and try something different? So that's... Well, it sounds, sounds like when you're coming home, you have, you have a choice. Mm -hmm. You can be in your mode or you can be in their yeah. mode. And if you're in your mode, if you're focused on what you need all the time, it's, it's not going to help the relationship. No. And if you're focused on them, how can I create a great experience for them, whoever them is, mm. whether it's family, whether it's other coworkers. And when we, when we take that approach, man, we can create a great environment. Have oh, you in networking? I hate network. I used to hate network until somebody said, why don't you use pay it forward? That cheesy American film, pay it forward. Totally. Yeah. Great one. Yeah, I was in years at the end. Yeah. Of that. But why don't you walk into a networking room saying, what are the three things that I can do for people in this room tonight? Because we always walk in thinking I need something from people. But as soon as you right. give something forward to somebody, it's amazing how it reciprocates. Yeah. And comes back at a certain point in the time. That's, that's one of my favorite lessons ever. I had two bits of wisdom. That would be the second one, which is what can I do for this room? And just, it reaps yeah. back to you in huge amounts. Yeah. So true. Well, that's um, the thing he flashing through my head because it's this example of taking a risk because yeah. I, I think Craig heard me talk about another episode. Mm. It struck me about a month ago. I was thinking about what the room was like when a group of people got together and said, you know what I think would be a great idea? Let's open a bar and we're going to throw axes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you think about what it took for that idea to happen. Cause I'm pretty confident unless the oh. entire room was equally crazy. Yeah. There was one person who said that. And if there's 10, eight of them said, you're nuts. Yes. But there was one other who said, wait a minute. Yeah. I think yeah. there's something here. It is drunk with sharp objects. Yeah. Mm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's on my mind lately. Except it, <laughs> it keeps, seems to me the epitome of innovation and courage and taking risks. Well, I'm, you know, we, we were talking about uh, earlier, who is the one person you would want to meet? And I know I'm, you know, one of the questions you might ask me in here, which another uh, has asked me, and, and I've got Alex Hunhold, who's the uh, free solo, the guy who climbed. Oh. And I'd love to ask, what is it like to be so close to death? Yeah. All the time. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it must, 
there must be something. So a bit, bit like working at that axe place, you know, as you're <laughs> as you're away to walking around going, oh shit. <laughs> oh my god, what's one word that that you don't want to hear from a free solo guy? Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm slightly tired. Well, I've got niche. Yeah. What am I gonna do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you don't have to be worried because you're not tied to him if he's a free solo guy. Yeah, sure enough. So you're not going <laughs> if with If he's him. above you, though. <laughs> so I, this is this is so interesting because so much of what you're sharing, Colin, is things we talked about, Craig and I, and mm. we really, I think, have sliced up in a really beautiful way this idea of taking risk. Mm. Yeah. Um, what I found, I know you've mentioned several times, a lot of your clients, you're working with them around the experience. Mm. And what I hear in that is, if I'm getting it right, is they're empowering their people to just do things yeah, and make and do things for people. Yeah. And I mean, in that sense, I mean, how big a mistake could it be? I mean, you might cross a line, but you go, okay, that was a bit much. The, you, you, you gave them a $5,000 airline ticket. Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe we need a boundary now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's. But am I right that a lot of your work is in that space of the client or customer experience? It is, and it's um, it it is, and it isn't because we we get into a lot of we work in places that are technical. We work in internal. We're the largest provider of inter, internal audit academies globally for hmm. financial services. But what we're we're getting people to think about is this bit about assurance, and assurance doesn't come from rigid process. Assurance comes from educating people about risks. And if you take mm. internal audits, you take risk functions, compliance functions, their sole role is to provide assurance for the business. Yeah? So their eye is on the risk, but it's not about suppressing the ability for people to act. It is about being aware of the risk and managing that risk in a, in a good way. So wow, that is such a great distinction. So that's assurance piece means that, you know, keeping you out of jail. It's a bit like saying I'm not going to fly because there's a risk of me dying in a plane. It's there's a piece about managing the systems that go around that. So all our education is it's about the conversations you have. So as a, an internal audit person, a compliance or risk person, those conversations should be educational. They should be identifying and helping people to identify risk beforehand, whether it's fraud or anything else like that, and then starting to think about how we innovate around that in a way to mitigate the risk, but not at the sake, for the sake of or, or at the, the penalty of the client or the customer. So how much of this is about, I think in one of the other defaults, mm. as we see it regularly, is when people have conversations about ideas, Mm. They typically start with the risk. Yeah. But what if this goes wrong? What if it doesn't mm -hmm. work? Yeah. And rarely start with what if it works? Yeah. And I would argue often don't even get mm. to the look at assessing what's all the wins in this. Yeah. Do you see that? And if so, are there ways you're helping organizations shift that default to the risk versus so they miss out on the win? So, so I think there's two answers to that. There's probably about 25 answers to that. But one of the answers is design thinking, because what we talk about in design thinking is leave your ego and expertise at the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and ego is, if you think about anything, you think about how you design anything. And it is about saying, I'm going to forget what I know. Yeah. I'm just going to observe the user at the center of it. And a classic example of GE medical systems and there's CAT scanners, the MRI scanners. They had a huge amount where they had to, but 85% of the children going through them had to be sedated. Now, the answer would be, do we get a better sedate, uh, sedation technique? Uh, but what they did was they went out and observed. What they realized is that most sick kids have had their life sucked out of them, literally. They have no pictures of holidays. They have no pictures of successes or rosettes or medals or whatever it is. So they took an analogous situation for ideas. And this is the true place where creativity and innovation comes from, from the observation. They took the analogy and they saw, well, there's no pictures of theme parks. So GE took the theme park analogy. So they had now created MRIs that are pirate ships. And all the people serving them are dressed up as pirates and the kids dress up as pirates. Now the sedation levels have gone, I think it's down to 8%, 10% oh in there. But that's not somebody squeezing hard to get a creative idea out or somebody go risk it's somebody just observing what human behavior is and a need yeah. and putting the user at the center 
So I think the misunderstanding sometimes, Jeff, is, is around the, the, the concept of creativity and innovation. Mm. So that's one thing uh, in there. I think the other thing on the risk side is that, and there's a lot of work now done, uh, people do pre-mortems. I love pre-mortems. Mm-hmm. How are we going to screw up? How are we going <laughs> to massively screw up? What are the things that are going to get in our way? It's amazing how creative sometimes you get by going, what is going to get in our way? And suddenly, oh, well, that's a good idea. Yeah, we could do something with that. Um, and what Amazon have done, which I love, is when there's an idea in there, they have to pitch what success looks like. So they almost have to write as if the idea has been successful and what they, that is in there. And then when they pitch it, they rotate it around. And the first person who reads it is everybody in that room. And they have 10 minutes to read the proposal. And then they go to the least experienced, least authority, or least involved in the project first, and they go around the room with views and thoughts. So the person who's written it is the last person. And therefore, you get all the positives, the creatives out of it. You get less of the risks, and you get a better idea out of it. Wow. Um, I like that. So can I have time for one more? Yeah. So the other one I love is um, OpenTable do this, but Pixar do this, where they, they expect it to fail ugly. So the first cut of whatever it is, Monsters, Inc., whatever the, the, the movie is, they expect and they show it. And it's, called, it's, it's basically called an ugly version. And they get people to critique it. And everybody goes in to listen to the critique with an open mind because they know it's ugly. They just want to hear. And that's where Frozen, they move completely shifted the story of Frozen in that moment by shifting it around from the ugly version into a concept that works and tested it early. So as long as you're testing it early, and as long as you're testing the risks and the mitigations and everything in there early, Jeff, I think the design thinking process is the one I would always go back to to, to get those ideas to be fresh. Yeah, I think the well, names that we use for things can be, make a big difference because if we're talking about this is a draft, this is an ugly version, this is something yeah. like that, there's no expectation for perfection. I'll say it's a straw man. You know, it's whatever yeah. it is. We start with something so that we're not just going crazy. You know, we're not going all in, in five, 15 different directions. We start with something and we remove our ego and we say, okay, now let's, let's yep. go at it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It sounds like most of the things you're sharing, Colin, are really small things. Oh, they are. They create a huge different impact. You talked about yeah. changing your question up. You talked about the order you went around yeah. the table. That was such a simple thing. Now, whoever's idea it is, they go last. Yeah. They go last. Um, I even, as you were saying, that was thinking, could you have a scenario where something was developed, you didn't even know who had developed it. So you, so yeah. no one's wondering, is it okay if I say something about Colin, because I don't want to offend Colin and this total yeah. anonymity somehow, mm. which I might initially argue, it means you have a lack of trust, but, but it creates such a different conversation, which is what this is about. Just change yeah. the conversation. It is heard the it's... same thing in pitches. You know, when yeah. you, when you have an idea, you say, Oh, I have a friend who's who did this thing and he wants some feedback. Can, can you take just a moment? You know, and it's your idea, but what happens is now somebody's going to give a much more honest feedback. Mm. They don't want to hurt your feelings. J.K. Rowling did that with books. So she wrote mm. her after Harry Potter, the success, she nommed a pen, she put in a different name, put the book out. A lot of authors will test things with yeah. names. So they, they test whether it's right or not. A lot of comics will go test their, their material before they go. So the, 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 the key thing in here is testing small. You know, and I can't remember the comedian's name, but Steve Martin did it. You know, they they would just put joke after joke after joke. And, and when he got a laugh, they would write it down. They'd always have their notes in front of them. So it doesn't look like a performance, but the audience are going, I know I'm part of an experiment. And that was the biggest change for us working with our clients is even when we're running a leadership workshop program, we say you're part of this iteration, but we'd love your feedback. Hmm. We'd love you to shape this into a different thing. Every year we change it. Every year we change it. And they're part of that. They love being part of that experiment. Yeah. Hmm. Colin, this is so good. I, yes. <laughs> I don't want to I'm not going to be able to get be more wrong. And it's a very different version, right? It's not the version I might say to someone else, like, you know, you couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that well, I hear that a well lot for relationships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that is not a, that's a phrase leaders want to completely throw out. They're oh, certain get yeah. rid of that one. Yeah. So, Colin, thank you for bringing your wisdom here, your playfulness, uh, your energy, your unique perspectives, and, of course, your disruption and your willingness to, to fail. Yeah. And uh, 
So we'd love to have our give our guests an opportunity to talk about anything particular you want to highlight or promote that's going on with you. Yeah, so the book launch is happening. So I've been, as I said, I've been recording the videos. So it's happening 21st of September. Um, and that's going to be more wrong. So uh, if they want to see more about that, be more wrong.com. So, so Colin, what is the best way for people to connect with you? So I'd love them to connect on Be More Wrong on Instagram. Uh, it's one of the ways to connect with me. You can go on LinkedIn, yeah, Colin Hunter and LinkedIn, or they can go on the website, bemorewrong.com. I'd love to hear, love to get back to you. I'd love to hear the ideas. Um, and also we're, we're starting to experiment with different ways of launching the next book. So we're, we're also experimenting with crowdfunding. So we're doing different things. I'd love to get people's ideas of where they've been more wrong. And ideas for my business would be great. Yeah, that's good. Wonderful. Well, we always wrap up with a question, and you've answered a bunch of them, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I just well, I thought they were great questions. Well, Sorry. no, I've still got one. I've still got one in my oh, okay. pocket, and it fits because of what we talked about early on about movies. Yep. Mm. So talk about what's the movie or the scene or the character that really speaks to you about leadership? So I'm going to pick one, which is Gandalf. Yeah, oh, and my I'm going gosh, to pick yes. Lord of the Rings. But I'm going to pick a... A quirky one that I love, which has one thing, which is the moment where he sat in the minds of the Moria, a mines Moria, and he's working out which path to take. Yeah. And they're all sitting there and he's smoking his pipe and he's just calm. And, you know, there's all the orcs and everything else around, but he's sitting calmly. And eventually he goes, yep, yeah, it's this way. And somebody asks, so how do you know? He says, well, and you think it's going to be this really astute answer. And he says, no, it's the air's fresher this way. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a bit for me, if I have one moment, that when we fall out of our thinking, most of our answers are right in front of us, if we can mm. actually just get out of our own way. And that's why Gandalf is just, he's, he's a legend. Those are my favorite movies. Yeah. My sons and I watch those about every year and uh, just amazing. Yeah. So is that your line, Colin, when you fall out of your thinking? It's actually a Jamie Smart clarity. And he, oh, he told brilliant. me. When you fall out, you're thinking, and it's all about, well, if you think about it, we have, we have everything in our life, but where do our best ideas come from? In the shower, on the run, when we've actually switched our mind off. Yeah. Uh, so, so Wow. Recommend and then I shoot them down with my mind. Yes. Exactly. The judge <laughs> yeah. comes in and goes, no. Good, yeah, good catch, no Jeff. I, I think I missed <laughs> that. I was talking too much. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Colin. Thanks for oh, all you pleasure. brought today and for Amazing. all your work in the world. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Craig. Real pleasure. I've had fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.